Today's scripture reading is taken from John chapter 15 verse 1 to 11. That's John chapter 15 verse 1 to 11. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is the word of God. New Hope. Uh, my name is Alex. I'm one of the elders here, and I have the distinct joy and privilege to be able to preach God's word to you again today. Uh, so let's pray and ask God for help. Father, thank you uh, for uh, this wonderful church, New Hope Fellowship, uh, that you have sovereignly created and that you hold together. Uh, we, as a church body, uh, wish to honor you, to know you, and to serve you, Lord Jesus. This Sunday is no exception. Uh, through this scripture, would you teach us what it means to abide in Christ, to make him our home, and to have our joy be complete. These words have such truths in them that apply to 2,000 years ago and that apply to today. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are, what you have done, and these words that describe uh, who you are and what it means to know you and to follow you. We thank you. We love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to ask that uh, you just have your Bibles uh, open and to the side because we're going to refer back to it multiple times. So there's uh, uh, two main questions that we're going to be tackling today. Just two. One is, what does abiding in Jesus mean, and how do you do it? That's one. What does it mean, and how do you do it? And number two is, how will our joy be made full? Just those two questions. So let's dive right into the text. You know, several times in the Gospel of John, Jesus states who he is by saying, I am. Uh, whenever Jesus says, I am, this should be a signal for us to slow down, open our eyes and ears, and really listen to what Jesus is saying about himself. In the entire Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am, seven times. 
In the earlier parts, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And finally here in verse 15, in chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. Well, in this final I am statement, Jesus goes on and gives a very clear allegory explaining how he is the true vine. So let's go to that first cartoon. If you'd, uh, Carolyn, if you can put that up. So you see here, Jesus is at the top. He's the vine there, horizontal. And then the vertical, we are the branch that's connected to him. And when we are connected to him, we are abiding in the vine, which is Jesus. And then towards the bottom, you see this great juicy grapes that are being produced. Very clear image. Okay, we can take that image off now. So Jesus is a branch, and we need to abide in him so that we can bear fruit. We need to abide in Jesus to thrive and to be fruitful. Now imagine with me a bigger picture. Imagine a beautiful vineyard of grapes in Napa Valley, California, okay? And imagine you have this old man with a long beard walking up and down the rows, and he has a pair of scissors, and he's cutting off all the dried up, unhealthy, ugly-looking branches, and he takes them off, and he's throwing them in the fire, and he's burning them, and he's leaving the very healthy branches on the grapevine. So in this uh, allegory, the unhealthy branches with no fruit are being cut off and thrown into a fire. And then once they are pruned, once the vine is pruned, the healthy branches get more nutrients from the vine and subsequently produce more healthy, tasty grapes. So in this story, we are the branches and are connected to Jesus, which is the vine. And then God the Father is the vine dresser who's tending to the vineyard by pruning and cutting away ugly-looking, unhealthy branches. So if you contemplate this one level even further, you see that the branches are cared for internally, but also externally. And what I mean by that is, internally, the branches are fed directly nutrients by Jesus, through the, uh, being the vine. And then externally, God the Father, the vine dresser, is cutting away all the external bad-looking branches so that all the nutrients can be going to the healthy branches rather than the unhealthy ones parasitically sucking away the nutrients that could be going to the healthy branches. You see, in a vineyard, producing fruit is not simply desirable, it's the whole point of the vineyard's existence. And for maximum fruitfulness, pruning is essential. So now I think it's pretty clear that Jesus is trying to tell us that in order to live a healthy, fruitful Christian life, we must be connected to him. We must be abiding onto Jesus. We must be abiding in him. So let's get to question one. So what does abiding in Jesus mean, and how do you do it? Well, let's go back to the biblical text again. So open up your Bibles to John 15. Yeah, be careful, don't drop it there. And 
scan through verses 1 through 11 for me. And just quickly count how many times you see the word abide pop up in verses 1 through 11. That's a lot, right? On my count, it's 10 times. It's like a machine gun firing the word abide again and again, like boom, 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 abide, abide, abide. It's like rapid fire. You know, when you or I want to emphasize something, we raise our voice. We underline. We type in bold. We hit the caps button. But in the Jewish culture, at the time that Jesus was saying these things, and oh, Jesus was a Jew, by the way, when a Jew wanted to emphasize something, it was customary to repeat it. Repeating it in different ways to give it emphasis. So here in John, Jesus says, Abide in me. Abide in the vine. My words abide in you. Abide in my love. Abide in the Father's love. So what does this word abide mean? Well, the Greek word that was first used in the first written copies of the New Testament is mene, which means accept, stay, remain, live with, be at home with. I don't know about you, but what really resonates with me is making Jesus home. That really just sounds wonderful. And with your home, you spend a lot of time in it, right? You know all the details of your home. And home is where you feel safe. It's where you can relax. So abiding in Jesus means remain with Jesus, live with Jesus, make Jesus your home. And he's a place where you feel safe, relax. It's a place you miss when you go away for long periods at a time. You see, Christianity is, is completely different from all other world religions because it is a relationship with a person. When you reject, reject Christianity, you're not rejecting a religion or a set of principles. You're actually rejecting a person. So I've heard several testimonies of people that grew up in, the, in a Christian home and then during their college years or middle age years, they reject Christ and they embrace atheism. Then slowly in their latter adult years, through a combination of deep intellectual study and radical unconditional love from a faithful Christian, they slowly return back to faith in Jesus Christ. I, I've heard them say that during those years when they walked away from Christ and embraced atheism, that during that time they deeply missed him. They missed intimacy with Christ in prayer, in reading and meditating on his word. They were just homesick. They missed home. Now check out what Jesus says here in verse 5. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, did you know that living a successful Christian life is virtually impossible? Huh? What? Well, what I mean by that is that no matter how hard you try on your own, you will always fail and fall short and never feel complete. 
But when you're abiding in Christ, when you are a branch that is firmly and solidly connected to the vine, you'll be able to live a healthy, fruitful Christian life. Fruitfulness is not a result of human achievement, but rather a result of abiding in Christ. Let me repeat that. Fruitfulness is not a result of human achievement, but rather a result of abiding in Christ. Abiding in Jesus is the necessary prerequisite for fruitfulness. So if you break off a branch from a tree and you throw it on the ground, what do you think is going to happen? Would it suddenly grow more leaves and fruit? No! No matter how hard that branch tries, it's not going to produce fruit. It's going to wither and die. Just like if you're not connected to Jesus, if you are not living with Jesus, if you are not abiding in Jesus, you will not thrive and be spiritually healthy. You will not bear fruit regardless of how earnestly you try. See at the end of verse 5, where it says, for apart from me you can do nothing? The converse is also, is also true. In Philippians 4.3, where Apostle Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So if you break off the branch and, and break it off from the vine and, and throw it down, no matter how healthy that branch is, no matter how many fruit it already had on it, is going to die and is not going to produce new fruit. On the other hand, if a branch is firmly rooted and connected to the vine, which is Jesus, it will produce fruit naturally and automatically. The same way, they, the same way that if you're connected to Christ, you will bear fruit nor, uh, naturally. It will just naturally, automatically happen. Can you see how you cannot force fruit to grow? You must be abiding in the vine to grow good fruit. And you know, often we ask ourselves, how can I be more useful for God? What is my calling? How can I live, more fruit, live a more fruitful life for Christ? But the more correct question based on this biblical text is how can I be more at home with Jesus? How can I abide more with Christ? How can I be more connected to Christ? And then, the more one abides in Christ, the fruit, the direction, the usefulness for God will just come naturally. It won't be forced. You see? Now check out this scary verse, verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branch, the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So make no mistake, Christ is issuing a harsh warning here. That is, a person who has been presented the opportunity to live at home with Jesus, to be a part of his family, and to be with him in intimate relationship, the person who learns of the free gift that Christ is offering, but rejects the offer, that person will be dealt with severely and will face punishment. You know, a good litmus test is to frequently ask your question, uh, to ask yourself this question, the, the yes, but question. 
Yes, but is it a reality in my life? Yes, I know I should be abiding in Christ every day, but is it a reality in my life? So, now we get a general gist of the theoretical concepts of what abiding in Christ means. But you say, how do I go home today and do it? How do I abide in Christ today? How do I make Jesus my home? You know, oftentimes you will hear people telling you what you should do and what you should believe, and they go on and on, but then they don't tell you how to do it. They clearly explain the what, but not so clearly telling you the how. Well, here's the how. How you can abide in Jesus. Hopefully it's clear and applicable. If you are a note taker or if you're in youth group, um, maybe get out your pens and, and this is a good time to jot something down if you jot anything down. So three ways that you uh, can abide in Christ. or How can you abide in Christ? Three, three ways. A knowledge faith, and love. Knowledge, number one. Faith, number two. Love. So let's uh, look at these things. Knowledge. Knowledge of Jesus' identity and his attributes. Let me repeat that. You abide in Christ by having knowledge of Jesus' identity and his attributes. So we should know what is true about Jesus and what is a liar or misconception? And we should know him intimately. We should know his characteristics and even small nuances about him. Just like your home. You spend a lot of time in your home, right? You know, if someone says that your house is a ranch and when in fact it's a colonial, you know right away that's not true. Additionally, if somebody says that second step going up the stairway, when you step on it just on that left corner, it makes this big squeaking sound. You'll also know if that's true or not. So you know a lot about your house, both big facts and the small ones. You have a comprehensive knowledge of your house, right? So a way, so a way that you can abide in Jesus is to know him or to have comprehensive knowledge of him. So how do you have knowledge of him? Just like your house, you need to study Jesus. You need to spend a lot of time with Jesus. You study him by reading about what God the Father says about him in the scriptures. And read what Jesus himself says. You spend time with him by talking to him a lot. You know, just like when you talk to your, you have a best friend, you talk to them, you text them, you Facebook, Facebook, Facebook messenger them, you Zoom chat them, you talk to them all, all day long, all year round. You spend a lot of time with him by constantly talking to him in prayer. So just like you need to breathe, to get oxygen, pray like your life depends on it, because it does. Pray to the Lord every day, just like you breathe. In prayer, acknowledge, adore Him, confess to Him, 
thank him. Plead to him for help. Spend time sitting alone with him, long, unrushed times. Spend a whole day at the beach or a beautiful hike in the woods with your Bible, talking to him. Have him talk to you through the scriptures. He will always be there. He will always listen. You may find that the more you pray and talk to him, the more you pray and talk to him. And unfortunately, the opposite is true as well. So respected biblical scholar and pastor D.A. Carson put it like this. Christ's words must lodge in your mind and heart that conformity to Christ, obedience to Christ, is the most natural thing in the world. So how do you lodge the Word of God in your mind? How do you lodge the Word of God in your heart? Simply put, study, memorize, meditate, pray. It's not rocket science. We all know this. So let's repeat. So study His Word memorize his word, meditate over his word, then after you have lodged his word in your mind and your heart, then you pray unceasingly. Well, let's see what the word of God says about this. So we can throw up this, that uh, verses there. So John 8.31 says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See how abiding in his word comes first? Joshua 1.8 This book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Meditate on his word day and night. First Thessalonians. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Be in continual daily prayer, just like you need to breathe. Okay, you can turn the slides off now. So you abide in Jesus by having in-depth knowledge of him, of his identity and his attributes. And you do this by studying, memorizing, meditating on his word and continual frequent conversation with him in prayer. So knowledge. So the second way that uh, you uh, can abide in Christ is faith. And what do I mean by this? You abide in Jesus by having faith in his resurrection and then faith in his love for you. Repeat. So you abide in Jesus by having faith in his resurrection and faith in his love. You know, another word for faith is trust in or confidence in. So you abide in Jesus by having trust in and confidence in the resurrection. 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important fact of Christianity. I would even argue that it's the most important fact of all of human history. It's the most important fact to know and to believe or not, and to also to be able to answer questions and objections to. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says this, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching and our faith is in vain, and we are still in our sins, and we are to be pitied. So even if you don't like studying and you're not a reader, if you are a Christian, I would dare to say that it's almost mandatory that you study everything you can about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Study all the extant historical documents that are both Christian and non-Christian and read them for yourself. You know, you can do all this online now. Study all the alternative theories about the resurrection. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised to see where the preponderance of the evidence leads. And then make a, de a definitive decision whether you do or do not believe that Jesus Christ resurrected after being medically and clinically dead for three days. And if you do this and come to a clear belief that as best as any fact in history can be known, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ did indeed occur, then you should pay very close attention to everything he, he did, he said, and everything that he promised. So you abide in Christ by having faith in, confidence in, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Faith in the resurrection. Subsequently, when you realize what Jesus did for you, the great pain and sacrifice he willingly endured for you, when he himself did nothing wrong and was completely innocent, you begin to see the type of love that he has for you. It's, it's an undeniable, unchangeable fact of history that Jesus Christ gave his life for you. And that his love is one of the most sure things that you can count on in this life. He took a bullet that was meant for you. When a shot was fired to kill you, he stand in the way and he took it right on the heart. And he died so that you can live. When you picture Jesus suffering and dying on the cross for you, you begin to have great confidence in and faith in his love for you. Like he says a few verses later in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The irreversible fact of history that Jesus died for you, it's black and white proof that he loves you and that can never be undone or made untrue. The fact of Christ's complete, perfect love for you, it will never change. So you abide in Jesus by having faith in his resurrection and it turns to faith in his love for you. So let's go to the last way that uh, you uh, abide in Christ, how you can abide in Christ. And that's love. Love. 
Abiding in Christ is synonymous with abiding in his love. So abiding in Christ is the same thing or synonymous with abiding in his love. So you look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Uh, Now as a quick preamble, here's a radical truth about God's love that seems so simple, but it's actually very hard to believe and accept. And here it is. God's love came from God. God's love came from God. God's love for us has nothing to do with our perfect obedience or correct love for him. His love for us is not dependent on us. His love for us began with God, it stands with God, and it will end with God. God elected it, and God decided it. If you look at 1 John 4, this is something that a lot of people will put on their emails as they sign off, which is a great, great reminder. It says, because he first loved us. He loves us perfectly, completely, and immutably. So now with this correct view of Christ's love for us, you see here in verse 9, Jesus invites us to make ourselves at home in his love for us, which is a love that is just as large as his Father's love for him. This fact should overwhelm, should comfort, and good give good reason for celebration and rejoicing. And I can imagine Jesus holding out his hand and saying, make my home in this special love of mine and relax. It's like a hot tub filled with Jesus' love to the brim. Instead of water, you have Jesus' love. And you go in it and you soak and you relax. You put your arms back. You take a deep breath. And you fall asleep. When you're soaked in Jesus' love, enjoying his presence, relaxing, appreciating, singing praises to him, giving thanks to him for his radical, unconditional grace, you are abiding in Jesus. You see? Enjoy him. You know, when we go to Africa, we hang out with the Namibian youth. When they praise, when they sing, they have huge smiles on their face. Big pearly white teeth just glaring at you, jumping for joy. They are abiding in Jesus. So abiding in Jesus is synonymous with abiding in his love. It's the same thing. So look at what uh, Jude 1 says. Could put out that slide. Jude 1. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Okay. So how do we abide in Christ? Knowledge of him, number one. Faith in 
His resurrection, number two. Abiding in His love, number three. And, and, and just making Him home. So let's turn to that second question that we're going to address based on the text. So how will our joy be made full? How will it be made full? In verse 11, um, Jesus says this, These things I have spoken to you, that your joy may be in, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So let's take a moment and look at what the, what the word joy is. The word joy is used in various ways today. It can be uh, someone's name. In the old, old days, we used to have video games that had these controllers we used to call joysticks. Well, the Greek word for joy here is chara, which means delight, exhilaration, glee. And, you know, I can imagine that many of you have probably experienced various kinds of joy in your life. Like when you knock down that fadeaway three-pointer where Brian Lee's outstretched his full-lengthy six-foot frame trying to block you, and you knock it down. Or that effortless 300-yard drive where you feel the shaft just bend a little bit, and then the ball explodes off the face of that brand-new driver that you just bought. Or that A-plus that you get on the exam that breaks the class curve. Or when you get that really nice purse or that brand new Air Jordans for 75% off. Or the 200th like that you get on your Instagram post. So how is this joy in Jesus so different? So before we go into what this joy in Jesus is, let's talk about what it's not. Uh, so many of you may know Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, he's a Welch medical doctor who many consider the most significant preacher of the 20th century. Uh, in his biography, the doctor speaks about a time before he was a Christian. Uh, when he was in medical school, he was walking down the hall of the hospital after a shift, and out of the corner of his eye, he sees somebody slouched over with his hands in his face, and just crying. Very depressed looking. When he took a closer look, he saw that it was one of the most prominent, successful, powerful physicians in all of the hospital. This physician had it all. It was the man that Martin Lloyd-Jones looked up to, most envied, who wanted to become. He wanted to become him. And in many ways, he, also, he, he worshipped or idolized this man. When he saw that this man who seemingly had it all could go into such deep depression, it shook Martin Lloyd-Jones. It shook him. He thought that once he had arrived and achieved the status of that physician, that all his problems would go away. That he would be completely satisfied and he would have happiness and joy in his life. It caused him to begin to ponder, is there anything that could give him lasting joy? This began him on a journey which eventually led him to belief in Jesus Christ. Similarly, when you see rich and famous people of today, 
when details come, come out about their, their lives, what it's really like, we see that in the end, their seemingly perfect, highly desirable life is actually just a life of misery and pain. This clearly is not the type of joy that Christ is offering. So what is this joy that Christ is offering, and, and how is it so different? Uh, well, we touched a little bit on the tip of the iceberg of this joy when we talked about how abiding is in Christ is synonymous with abiding in his love and how this can give us a tremendous sense of comfort, peace, and feeling of home. But is that it? No, not really. These facts about abiding in Christ, knowledge of Christ, faith in his resurrection, his love, they all revolve around and point to one thing, and that is the gospel. So check out what the Apostle Paul says and how he explains the gospel in his letter to Titus. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So just sit in, in with the scriptures there, look at that, and just think about what those words mean. Just do that for a minute. So joy should be solely based on the finished work of Jesus Christ and not based on your performance. Joy should not be coming from who you are and what you can do, but joy should come from Christ and who he is and what he has done. That's why an old grandpa or grandma that has a body ravaged by arthritis, they can barely move. They can't do any ministry. They can't go on mission trip. They can't evangelize or witness so easily. But if he or she is abiding in Christ and is soaking in God's love, and with the knowledge that Christ said, it is finished, they have a joy and a peace that is much more than that powerful megachurch pastor who seems like he's doing much more for the kingdom, but he may have very little joy. You see, all of our joy, all of our hope is in Christ. Joy comes not from us doing, but it comes from resting in what Christ has done. Not from your doing, but from what Christ has done. This joy is a rugged, stable joy that is completely independent of your life circumstances, whether things are going good or bad. Contrast that with the joy when you get with that 200th Instagram like, 
That lasts like 10 or 15 minutes, right? It's very easy to have our joy tied to our performance. And we need to continually fight against this. Joy comes not from my performance, but from Christ's performance. That is why joy comes before obedience, not the other way around. The joy in fully comprehending Christ's love for us is what energizes our obedience to him. It strengthens us, encourages us, so that we can be obedient. The, my, the main foundation of your joy must be his performance and not yours. It must be based on who he is and not who you are. Who Jesus is, what he declared, and what he has done. This joy makes us ready for action. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, The purpose of the gospel is not to amuse or entertain, but to bring us to God. It's to point us to him and to take attention off of ourselves. My friends, real lasting joy that is complete, that is satisfying, that is lasting, it comes from having a deep, intimate relationship with him. It comes from abiding in Jesus, knowing him, having faith in him, loving, enjoying him. Brothers and sisters, abiding in Jesus, our home, our Messiah, our King, is everything. Rejoice knowing this. I say, just rejoice. Let's pray. Father, um, I thank you for uh, uh, these things that you have, you have taught us. Uh, and um, I pray that um, the name of Jesus Christ, uh, who you are, what you have done, your gospel, I pray that that has been front and center here today. I pray that you are pleased uh, by this worship service. Uh, and I pray that, uh, that people's hearts have been ministered to. And I pray that people know you a little bit better, Jesus. Lord Jesus, you are, um, you are our home, and we want to abide in you, and we want our joy to be complete. We thank you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.